We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Unsights TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, and I'm joined as ever by, I'm bringing it back, Mr. Simon Howell. How's it going? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, I've been worse. <laughs> it's been a weird one. Uh, just... <laughs> Just so just so everyone knows, if I'm a little bit extra cranky or annoyed or you know impatient, it's not it's not the TV's fault. It's it's life's fault. But I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Also, I hear you're gonna go punch things. Yeah, I'm. I'm I've decided to take my rage out less on television and more on uh, more on punching bags and then eventually people. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna do that soon. <laughs> and I'm telling you now. I'm telling you, people out there. So now I actually have to do it. So, mm-hmm. so uh, hold me to it. <laughs> Absolutely. So this is our almost first year anniversary for the Televerse. Woo! Happy birthday to us. Well, by the time like a, a significant number of people listen to it, it probably will be the first year. So can we just say it's the first year anniversary? I know technically it's not till next week, but we're just gonna call it early because next week we're going to talk about breaking bad because it's going to have yes. its you know finale for the half season we assume it's going to be awesome so next week there's yeah. not going to be any time to do any special first year stuff yeah there's going to be no we're not going to be interested in ourselves anymore nope over it but before that happens this week instead of uh in in honor of that i guess whatever honor that is honor of ourselves of sure. ourselves we're uh we're skipping the dvd shelf and instead we're having our first annual make you watch-a-thon so uh you made me watch the i made you watch 30 for 30 and you made me watch doctor who yes yep yeah you the, it's the i don't want to hype it up too much yeah <laughs> it's 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 a bit too reasoned you know and and calm of a discussion to be overly hyped. yeah it's it's yeah. Plus, you know, I was I was really out of it. But um, it it is twenty. It does feature about twenty five minutes of me talking about Doctor Who. So those of you who have been clamoring for such content, you now know that it exists. <laughs> that's that's the best. That's about the best I can promise you. And uh, that's coming at the end of the show. But before we uh, get into the rest of the show, let's uh, mention a few comments and tweets we got for you guys this week. First of all, we heard from Mario, who was talking about Breaking Bad. And I love this uh, this comment that he had. He was talking about how um, he's enjoying Skyler's arc this year. He really liked the dinner scene last week. And uh, he was saying he thinks it's only really a push and a nudge to take Skyler from where she's at now to maybe a little bit of a meth head uh, addict wife. What do you think? Uh, you know, they've except for Jesse, they've been really, Gilligan's been really um, hesitant to have drug users on the show, which I think has been a very calculated move. Mm-hmm. I mean, ex- you know, there's obviously been a few exceptions to that, but especially in the last few seasons with Jesse mostly being clean, 
they really haven't done that at all. I'd be I'd be surprised if they went that direction, but um, you never know. I mean, it's Breaking Bad. Who, who the hell knows? Who knows? Uh, also, I got a chance to talk with Stephanie this week about Copper, uh, Mandy, and Corey were my Doctor Who buddies a little bit there. Uh, I'd love to know where you're at on your on your Doctor Who watching, you guys. So let me know. And uh, then I watched Salem's Lot the the original miniseries uh so keith and and blaine were talking to me about that a little bit because uh spoiler alert it's scary uh maybe not to you i don't know you, you're, you're more hardened than i am i'm pretty damn hardy when it comes to when it comes to my horror but we'll see we're it, you you were watching that for an upcoming segment on um horror on television that we're going to be doing for a a DVD shelfie type segment, which we're pretty excited for. It's gonna be pretty fun. So, uh, we'll see. Just I haven't, coming. I haven't gotten to do any. I haven't gotten to do any of that watching yet, but I have seen some of the movies we're talking about already. Yeah, that that's the one to look forward to. Uh, we'll, I think that's coming out in uh, October. Is when we'll get to that. But, uh, but yeah, it should be, it should be good. And then let's see, we got, we got two new re- reviews in iTunes, which. Is awesome. What? Yeah, we're pretty excited. And those are from Roger and Jammy. And they both gave us five stars, and they both really like the show. And that's fabulous. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Roger likes the the chaptering, the like you know, so people can skip around and skip the the sections that they don't care about. Uh, I'm a fan of that too on podcasts that I I listen to. Roger. Yeah, and also it's worth noting that if you like the chaptering, all the credit for that goes to Miss Kulzig. It was her idea, and she edits it every week. So props. Thank you. And uh, it, it does take a little extra work. So I'm glad that somebody besides myself appreciates it. Uh, thanks. It makes the little extra chunk of work a little easier to do then. And then also Jamie uh, is curious if we're going to do something on Beauty and the Beast since they have the that new show coming on CW. That's a good idea. I think we should try to find a guest to do the original series. Uh, maybe it's uh, what do you know? Do we know when the new one is premiering? It's starting up on uh, Thursday, October 11th, so it's not for a while. That might be doable. If 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 it was in mid September and I was in a tiff K hole as I plan to be, it's it's you know it's going to be hard to watch much of anything other than you know the 30 films or whatever I'm going to see. But uh, yeah, that could be could be doable. I've, I've always I've always heard interesting things about the original Linda Hamilton uh, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, and well, of course, George R. R. Martin was a writer on it too, and we both enjoy Game of Thrones, so it'd be interesting to see, you know, his progression somewhat. But uh, let's see, this week at Sound on Sight, I'm going to put up a guide to Doctor Who. I'm going to do a little bit of a uh, catch-up for those who are maybe thinking of jumping in with the new season, which of course is starting up on Saturday. Completely stoked for that, by the way. So that should go up sometime uh, in this uh, next few days. And also I'm going to do a pilot pilot roundup part two, because... I think it was Depayan who put up reviews of some of the pilots that have aired around after the Olympics. So I'm going to do um, a next chunk of those, uh, just a few that I've been able to see. I know that if you live in the United States, you can watch Ben and Kate and the Mindy Project, which are new Fox sitcoms. Those are up on Hulu. Um, but in Canada, you guys can't. So uh, Depayan can't do that one. So I'll just take a look at those. So that should be coming up in this next week. And then, as you mentioned, you're going to be in a TIFF K-hole. Yes. A T-hole? I don't know. T-hole? Yeah, <laughs> it's it starts on the 6th. I'm going to have an article probably up around the 30th or the 1st on my 30 or so most anticipated or you know sort of safe bets for the festival. 
And yeah, if you're if you're in Toronto, it's 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 a it's a total madhouse for a week and a half during that. So it's going to be interesting. And I'm covering yeah, I'm, I'm covering it officially for the first time. So yikes. Well, and also if you're going to be in Toronto for TIFF or you just live there, I'm coming up for the second half of uh, the festival and uh, let us know. I would be totally up for a Toronto meetup. If there are any listeners yes. who are going to be there, so drop us a line, uh, Twitter or the or the website, sound on site, um, leave a comment on this post, or send me an email, televerse at gmail, and uh, we'll we'll figure something out because I would love to meet some of you guys in pe- in person if you're if you're going to be in town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can and you can get to know my legendary social graces and. <laughs> conversational acumen good times um let's get into our week in tv though and i'm going to kick it off with tuesday in new york med this was the finale of this series are you familiar with the show i have no idea what this is it's actually it's a documentary series it's been on i want to say abc i always dvr it so i have a hard time remembering which channel it's on um but it's uh following uh nurses and and doctors and surgeons and interns in new york at a couple different hospitals and then also their patients so they fall they 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 seem to pick a couple of doctors that they follow for a particular week um or a particular episode and then pick a few cases that they show us and it's it's really neat because the the footage has a surprising amount of access for example somebody got a liver transplant and or they this in this episode a, a woman had to have pretty much all her internal organs taken out so that they could cut a massive tumor off her liver and we got to see her liver and it was really not looking too hot. So it's really interesting to, to you know see parts of the surgery. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it, 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 when you actually see a healthy liver versus an unhealthy liver, it's amazing how different they look. And normally you only see that if you're, well, hopefully you only see that if you're a surgeon or a nurse. I, I just like the idea that, that you see a woman's liver and you're just like, you know, she's, She's she's pretty, you know, good looking and all that, but her liver, man, her liver needs work. <laughs> um, but anyway, so this is a summer series that just wrapped up. Uh, I got to thank David Bax over at Previously On and um, Battleship Pretension for for tuning, me, getting me to tune in, because um, he's been praising the se- the series all summer, and I've I enjoyed it. So uh, if you get a chance, if you like if you like surgery shows, if you like documentaries. They're they're well done, and I would be surprised if they weren't up on uh, on demand or something like that for another week or two as we get into the the fall season here. But it was it was cool. So that was the finale of that on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, so you think you can dance had its top ten compete, and then the the top eight revealed. And there there are a lot of really good dancers. I know I keep saying the same thing every week, but uh, yeah, a lot of really good dancers on this show right now. I I think I have my top three women. Whittled down to who I who I think should be in the top, and uh, and I'm a little less sure about the guys, but um, but the the main thing that I, I took away from this week's episode, while I enjoyed it, they did an opening number that was a tribute to Gene Kelly, because of course this past week was his hundredth birthday, or would have been his hundredth birthday, and uh, it was kind of weak sauce. Uh, I was disappointed in the choreography because they had each of the dancers were some, you know, notable figure from his filmography or some character that he's done, but none of them were really doing the famous choreography of Gene Kelly. It'd be like if you were going to have somebody be Fred Astaire, you just, so you just put him at, you know, coat and tails and, and then didn't have him do top hat 
so so it would it you know it seems kind of strange to me and definitely a wasted opportunity but but these people can certainly dance i'm rooting for whitney and Lindsay and adrian you know, adriana the the ballet dancer uh if and right now they're my the my go-to's for who i'm most interested in watching but uh i've been definitely like i always say i've been enjoying so you think you can dance this summer Let's move on, though, to Thursday and Children's Hospital Chief's Origin. And you talk for a little bit because I'm tired. All right. Uh, so, yeah, <clears throat> as I've said before, I like Children's Hospital better the higher concept it goes. And we got pretty damn high concept this week, although not as not as insane as, you know, the show gets. Uh, there was a lot for Megan Mullally to do, which is always a good time. And um, I don't know. I, I, I just really dug the deeper it went into flashbacks that turn into rambling stories that turn into daydreams within daydreams that turn into courtroom drama <laughs> for some reason uh, i don't know i i i I had, I had a good time with this one yeah i wasn't as interested in the the chief um backstory uh flashbacks as much as i was in the the daydreams of each person i thought that uh was it was pretty entertaining. Henry Winkler killed it this week. Yeah, he was he was definitely, I would say, the highlight of this episode. I, I, yeah, I, I enjoyed this episode. I still haven't really gotten back to the... I still haven't enjoyed it as much as I did when I mainlined the first uh, several seasons of it. I find it's a, it's a, it's one, it's a show that's weirdly good to marathon because you, you kind of get into its weird mindset. Mm -hmm. for, you know 11 minute chunks at a time except you're watching 12 of them because you can do that in an hour or two hours <laughs> but uh yeah so just 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 getting 11 minutes a week maybe you don't have time to settle into the show's like weird comic universe yeah maybe that's it because I, I i still like the show but i definitely am not enjoying it as much or maybe, maybe this is a weaker season but i i liked the particularly last season um, episodes a bit more, uh, but you know this was still one of the better ones this year, and uh, definitely it was also one of the best best uh, NTSF SUVs, Sabotage. Oh, definitely the best one yet, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, first of all, it had a whole lot of Martin Starr, which is great. I mean, as Always we said good. before, the ensemble on this show is ridiculous, but uh, which you know I guess you can do when you're when it you can probably shoot an entire season in like half a week with two hour lunch breaks. But, um, and uh, I have to say the heartiest laugh I think I had all week at anything, including my life, was the, uh, it, it was it was kind of a, I guess it was a Die Hard 3 reference, really, but um, getting Martin Starr to go to, to go to a flower shop with a Downton Abbey sucks sign made me very, very happy. <laughs> yes, that, there, there have been several Downton Abbey jokes this week, um, particularly if you're watching the, the pilots that are up online now. But uh, that was the best <laughs> so far. It was pretty great. Yeah. Well, and also, like, I know it wasn't really an anti-Downton Abbey. I mean, it was, it, it was just sort of poking fun at the show in general. But just any anti-Downton Abbey sentiment, even joking, makes me kind of happy. Because it, it, it's, I think at this point, it's, it's safe to call it one of the most overrated TV shows in history. Yeah, especially that, that most recent season. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm sure we'll get some hate mail for that, and we welcome it. The Televerse at gmail dot com. Uh, the other the other recurring gag that I enjoyed was uh, well, first of all, Alison Brie always nice to see her. But I, yes. I enjoyed the what's what's her name Cove, the 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 boss lady uh, and her refusing to do any work, refusing yes. to do any physical work, even though she was clearly working the entire time. Just 
unwilling to open a door. Her newfound uh, uh, Judaism mm-hmm. uh, was was particularly enjoyable, I thought. So, yeah, good episode. Yep. Oh, and sorry, sorry last gag I want to mention is um, is Paul Shearer and his, and, and his triumph at at uh, le- at learning what a password was by the end of the episode. Yes, yes, that's uh, that was awesome. Next up is awkward and homewrecker Hamilton. This this episode was all right. It wasn't bad, but they have very successfully ruined what they their their delicate balance that they've been maintaining all season of trying to have there not be a bad guy in this love triangle that is now the center of awkward. And they've done that by having Jake just be an asshole and an idiot and having Maddie be the good guy and having Jenna still pining for Jake or or, or, or accepting and uh, not chastising him for his ridiculous childish behavior and tr- and ignoring everything that Maddie's been doing that is far more reasonable and level-headed and you know, makes him the good guy. Uh, So that is disappointing to me because it makes me lose respect for Jenna and uh, it's also less interesting. So we'll see what happens as we move towards the finale here. But if this becomes the more, you know, typical love triangle resolution that it's starting to look like it's going to be, I will be very disappointed. The other elements of the show were all were all good this week. I enjoyed all the supporting characters, but the main thing that was bothering me was that Jake was acting like a petulant child and Maddie was the only person calling him on it. So we'll see what happens next week. But yes, I think you would you would be very annoyed with Awkward right now. <laughs> good. I I I think I that was one of my better uh yes. that was one of my better breakups, I think. Better timed. That actually, that works pretty well going into Wilford in Honesty because there's some uh, more intense relationship discussion this yeah, week. Yeah, we, we, we go from a not-so-reasonable Jenna to a quite-reasonable Jenna. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what did you think? Uh, you know what's funny is um, Wilfred is a show about a guy who sees a, t- a guy in a dog costume where everyone else sees a dog. And yet its characters are more reasonable than those on the newsroom. <laughs> which we're gonna get to uh we're gonna get to later it was so nice i mean it wasn't it wasn't like a landmark episode it was it was kind of funny although the david o russell gag uh, went on way way too long and wasn't funny that's what that was i knew it was a reference and yeah. i knew i didn't know it <laughs> yeah that was that was the only time so far that that i would ever guess the uh, the family guy connection because it was totally a family guy gag like let us Let's do the the stationary shot, have Wilfred do the David Russell thing for like almost as long as the actual the actual rant. It really didn't work for me. But um, I have to say just the scene uh, near the end of the episode where um, where Jenna and Ryan have their talk and after he sort of confesses everything, well, except for seeing a talking dog, uh, which is you know rather important. Um, you know, Jenna comes out and says, well, you know, I was kind of a dick too. And it was, it was, I was not expecting it. And it's, it's just, you know, TV so often airs on the side of more drama where it's not always necessary or not always desirable. And so it's always nice to see a show go in the other direction and, and, and make its characters reasonable and human and, 
adult, especially when they're adults. I mean, yeah. uh, awkward, awkward is kind of excused from that because they're all teenagers. It's just not something I necessarily want to watch. It, you know, it, I'm not saying it, it, it makes sense at least, but uh, here, you know, it was just, it was so refreshing and so unexpected. Well, and it's something that Wilfred's done earlier this season with Alison Mack's character and her, you know, fear and anger towards dogs being resolved in an incredibly mature way. Uh, so, so yeah, we shouldn't be surprised by that. But still, when you get something like the the lovely scene we do get with Jenna saying, yeah, you know, what? I was leading you on because it was really convenient to have you do stuff for me. And that's terrible. And I'm really sorry about that, too. Uh, that was that was great. Uh, and mm -hmm. more shows sh should absolutely do this. Things like this. Yeah. In fact, I, I, you know, you can think of dozens of similar relationships like that in past TV shows. And I've never heard that speech. Never. That was, that was that was a that was a TV moment that I have not seen before. So congrats, Wilfred. It's been a good year for Wilfred. Yeah. Do we know actually if it's officially been renewed yet? It's not officially renewed yet. So they need to <laughs> get that ink on that paper because no, I want Land more Landgraf, Wilfred. John Landgraf seemed pretty confident about a renewal, and he's not really uh, he's not someone who tends to uh, throw bullshit around. So mm -hmm. we'll see. But yeah, it would be nice to know about that. Yep. Next, we have Louie and looking for Liz, Lily changes. Uh, the the stand-up was back this week. Yeah, the stand-up was back and the intro was back. Mm -hmm. Just just when I... I yeah, the thing about Louie is you can never write any aspect of it off. You can say, oh, it's changing forever. No, it's not. It's just you took a couple weeks out with, off with no stand-up and no, uh, no intro. They were both back this week and maybe they'll be gone next week. Uh, I have to say this was this struck me at least as one of the darkest, most pessimistic episodes of Louis ever, which meant I liked it a lot. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 this one seemed to really divide people, or at least not. It didn't really seem to light anyone on fire. But I, I, I was interested in the fact that you know we're starting a three-parter next week, and the first half of this was actually also kind of a third part. It was basically a sort of an epilogue to the Parker Posey double feature. And uh, I, I thought both halves, uh, for me, were, were, were really effective. I know some people are going to have, and I, I'm, I'm sure people have already given uh, Louis a hard time for having two characters who um, you know are both sort of, let's say, intense, idiosyncratic, and in the case of Chloe Savini's character this week, probably actually a little bit nuts. Uh, characters, uh, especially working at the same bookstore, but I think they're missing the point. But maybe we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, did you did you enjoy this one at all, or am I totally uh, off base? No, I enjoyed it. it it's uh, yeah, it's it's that Louis thing where you never know exactly what to expect. Hopefully, it'll be funny. Usually, I mean, it's always funny. Hopefully, it'll be laugh out loud funny, and uh, it's probably going to be kind of weird. And, uh, you know, whenever, especially whenever we get Louie and his kids, I always enjoy those. So I think I probably like the second half a little bit more. The first half, I, I kept kind of waiting to see where he was going to go. And I think maybe if I watched it again, I would like it even more now, now knowing the context of what it's actually about. That mm -hmm. it's not about finding Liz. It's not about, it's about, uh, it's about Louie and these strange women he keeps meeting. And I do think that there perhaps is something to the fact that by far, the, pretty much the only stable woman we've seen Louis interact with is Sarah Silverman, maybe Maria Bamford, but, you know, like that's, that's it. You know, he, he interacts with a lot more men and that are, that have their, their lives together and aren't, 
completely confounding him. Uh, so, so it would be nice to see him interact with more regular well, I mean, people. I, I think, first of all, I think the, the important uh, woman of, okay, this is a really tricky thing to talk yeah. about because Louis is so weird with continuity. But to me, the most important female character of season three is Pamela, who is not there. Uh, I, I, to me, okay. if we're if we can see Louis season three as being the same person as Louis season two and season one, which is a really dodgy prospect, you know, to me this season one of the undercurrents has been the absence of sort of this relatively stable female love interest, or or you know love figure. I don't. Really, it feels weird to call a character on Louis a love interest, but you know, obviously Pamela had her issues as well, but she was still. Not she was a person. Yeah, normal. <laughs> she was not a person who had in, insane mood swings or masturbates in public. Yeah. Which I love. I love the way this episode demonstrates that if that happened, it would be terrifying and not <laughs> sort of like and not romantic or cute. Yeah. Or sexy. <laughs> in, yeah. Yeah. Or, exactly. Yeah. Totally. That was great. Um. So t- to me, it's. I mean. I'm assuming we're not going to see any Pamela this season and who knows, maybe we never will again. It's so hard to predict it. And it's, and it's so hard to know where this is all headed in advance. Actually, it's impossible to know. But uh, to me, it, it was both, it's both about the absence of someone who's relatively stable and not necessarily knowing where to find that again. And also just the, the if you, if you think of the fact that he spends the episode looking for her and saying, Oh, you know, he looking for um for Liz that is, and he says, "Oh, you know, she, he she made me way, change the way I think about stuff." It's like no, if you if you go back and look at the scene that he's talking about, it's not inspirational. It's not it's you know, it's not really romantic. Even it's just kind of messed up. And I think he's formed this idea of what happened that isn't real, and oh. he's acting on it. Oh, I don't see that at all. That's interesting. Uh, Not even a little so, bit. Yeah, I, I see. That's that's. I, I I think he has a notion of romance that is slightly poisoned, and that's why he en- keeps ending up in these you know strange strange positions. I don't think it's as much about these women as it is about Louis. Well, I'm sure. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. I I I liked very much that he didn't say that there wasn't any sort of oh I love Liz, I need Liz. Uh, you know, but it seemed like it was more of like a a vague curiosity. And given how quickly he's going to, oh, well, never mind. She doesn't work there, so screw it. it well, didn't... she is haunting his dreams. I don't know. She, he, Yeah, he dreams about her once. Uh, but that doesn't seem, you know, as opposed to, I, I need her in my, but this is the notion that, you know, that that does that was a not insignificant moment that they shared on the, the roof. That was an intense scene. And so I, I could see how experiencing something like that would absolutely affect how you see just the random person walking down the street and affect your perception of what what's going on in everybody's brains and what the what the world kind of is. I could totally see that. Um, so I think it's interesting. And I love, of course, that we can both watch the same thing and have such completely different takes yeah. on it. And I think they're both right. I don't think either one is, you know, I don't think there's a correct interpretation necessarily. Yeah. And, and the thing is, Louis is always in flux. So, so my mm-hmm. reading might be totally invalidated next week and your reading might be totally invalidated next week. Although yeah. 
And then, Absolutely. but the most likely is that neither will be invalidated, and we'll just keep adding them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and uh, the the second segment I I, I really liked. Um, I was so great to hang out with the kids again. We haven't been seeing enough of them this season, and I just lots of little things. I love the Slovenian, mm-hmm. and and just the this notion of Louis being totally isolated from the way his kids even talk, and the the fact that he would rather lose one of his kids for a little while then fess up to the mother <laughs> that he'd messed up which which felt very very real to me and I, I, I you know i'm not a parent but it's i could totally see myself making that judgment call yeah, and the, living with that that scene with the cops was hilarious i gotta say uh there's the reaction to the mom that you called us before you called the mom was was, <laughs> was pretty amazing yeah i i uh, i'm not gonna lie i saw the title lily changes and a not insignificant chunk of me was hoping we'd see Louie having to take Lily to buy her beginner trainer bra or something. Because yeah. that would have been hilarious. Uh, but, you know, and I'm curious what you think the title means. Because I don't think we get, we don't really see much of a change in, in Lily or, or in any of the characters so much. So I'm curious, what, what are you reading from the title? Well, first of all, I, I thought maybe he would wake up one morning and Lily would be played by a different actress. Oh, that would be cool. I, I think we are seeing a, a significant shift where Lily sort of is, she has this whole interior life that, and this, and someone else pointed out this connects directly to something Liz said the first time that they talked, which is that, you know, she's going to have her, her, her own whole thing and it's going to be intense and she's figuring out herself and here mm-hmm. she's going to like some darkness and, you know, here we see her hanging out in a closet in the dark by herself. Mm-hmm. We don't see it, but we know it's happening. Mm-hmm. And Louis is just not a part of it. Yeah. And by the end of the episode, he knows about it, but he's, but it's still not, it's still not his. It's yeah. hers. So I, I think we are seeing a change and we're seeing, again, it's, it's all, you know, connected to Liz, which to me is also connected to Pamela. So yeah, to me, it's, even though the show plays fast and loose with continuity, it's increasingly forging connections to stuff, which I find really, really interesting. Oh, that that's that's great. It's a great reading of it. And for those looking for more analysis, you can of course find uh, your your review up, Simon, at Sound on Sight, which I very much enjoyed. Oh, good. I didn't know you read them. <laughs> yes, I respect your opinion as a TV critic. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing the show with you for a year. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Let's move on to Friday in Outlaw Country, which I did not get to see this week. I I ran out of time. Why don't you tell the listeners uh, what Outlaw Country is? Okay, this is going to take a minute. So, a couple years ago, FX commissioned a pilot called Outlaw Country, which is a drama about country singers and crime. And uh, it features a very similar setting and feel and score and cinematography to Justified. So it kind of seemed like what they wanted to do, although I've never heard Landgraf talk about it, so I could be totally wrong. It seems to me like what they wanted to do was have a Sons of Anarchy to Justified the Shield. You know, maybe theoretically set in kind of the same universe, similar feel, similar uh, sort of uh, milieu, but, (laughs) um, but with a different cast, different characters, and not as good. Uh, I mean, obviously that's not what they planned, but that's what we got here. And um, so on paper, it sounds like it can't miss. And you wonder 
if you only know that the 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 premise and the cast and you just hear about it without watching it you think they were stupid not to green like that you know you, we've got john hawks mary steenbergen and uh steven root and paula malcolmson and other people i'm probably forgetting i'm sorry that i haven't mentioned you and you know a couple of pretty uh, younger people to head up the cast uh, in Luke Grimes and Haley Bennett. But it just doesn't really work. Um, the other thing about it that's, that's quite strange is that it's sort of a musical. Okay. Which I wasn't really expecting. There is at least six songs in it. which And you see people sitting down or standing and playing most of them. Or they're set to a montage, but you generally get the whole thing which was really unexpected. This idea of a, of a drama that's also kind of a low-key country musical is kind of fascinating. And maybe we'll get that with Nashville. I don't know. But that seems like nothing is nothing about it is going to be low-key. So there you go. Um, so there's kind of, there's lots of kernels of interesting ideas, but unfortunately the characters just aren't very interesting. And I have to, and which was really unfortunate for John Hawks, who basically is playing a Kaiser Soze-ish, like he he looks and acts like the devil and, and a little bit later on the show, someone actually refers to him as the devil, which wasn't terribly <laughs> subtle. Um, so he's doing his best and he, he has a couple of really great little moments just because he's so awesome, but he, the writing for his character is not very interesting. Uh, the real tragedy of the show is Mary Steenbergen, who is just so woefully miscast as this sort of Shania Twainy pop country singer, and she, I mean, first of all, I'm sorry, but the, but the, but the woman cannot sing and she's, the, and it, she's actually very badly outsung by the, uh, by her daughter played by Haley Bennett, who's meant to, who she keeps referring to as not as good a singer, which was just, re- which, which is sort of a plot point, but also is really, really funny. And yeah, every time we see her sing, it's just really, really teeth grindingly tragic. She's just so, so miscast, even in the, even in the dialogue bits, uh, she just doesn't seem right for the part at all. Which is really too bad. They they needed someone with with more grit, um, and just I don't know. It almost seemed like they wanted Katie Segal, but she was quite obviously on another series. <laughs> so yeah, um, it, if you ever want, I mean, it's so rare that you get to see a rejected pilot, and I don't really know why FX decided to air this, except that I guess they'd spent money on it, so why not use it? And I, but then again, why not why not air all their other rejected pilots? I don't know. But it's the sort of thing that maybe with a massive rewrite and some recasting could have worked, but clearly they didn't want to spend the dough doing that. And it's also worth, and also it's movie length. It's like an 84 minute pilot. So, or a dual pilot maybe. So that's the other reason I guess they probably wanted to air it because they really spent a lot of money on it. Um, Why they thought they could get away with airing this and justified at the same time. I'm not sure. They probably could have if, if this had been nearly as good as justified, which unfortunately it isn't. And I'm just hoping this ultimately leads to getting John Hawks back on TV because that would be amazing. And as much as the whole idea of having Bullock and Star share a TV lineup would have been, it just wouldn't have it it wouldn't have worked out with this show. So a really interesting but quite significant uh, failure, I think. So let's let's move on though from uh, pilots to finales. And Sunday had a couple of them. Let's uh, let's do the newsroom first. The Greater Fool. 
Oh no no no! Let's let's do True Blood first. Let's do True Blood first. Okay, okay, fine. We'll do True Blood first. Save yourself. What do you think of uh, Save Yourself? uh, True Blood. What what was your what is your experience been like this year with True Blood? And uh, are you coming back next year? Yeah, it's been my first time watching True Blood. You know, True Blood is the TV equivalent of what Hitchcock called a fridge movie. Have you heard that term before? It's a TV show that is fun while you're watching it and seems to add up most of the time anyway. But then the more you think about it, when you've gone to the fridge for a midnight snack, the more it just falls apart. And (laughs) in retrospect, looking at these 12 episodes, I kept, the more I think about any plot line, I'm just like, why did we see this? Why did it take so long to get to this place? Which wasn't very interesting. Um, Why did we watch that? Which just ended like the Afrit thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we never heard of it again, which was fine. But why did we spend nine episodes doing that? Um, why did they decide to end the season here and not? I mean, for instance, the whole Billeth thing, which I felt really, really clever for coming up with Billeth. And then I went on Twitter and then literally hundreds of people had coined it before I did. So now I feel like a jackass. But, um, you know, the Billeth reveal doesn't that feel like something like a mid-season cliffhanger to you? Well, not to me, but that's because I'm well-practiced in True Blood. Fair enough. But it it just feels like that's a... It feels like we should have gotten to Billeth a lot faster. It doesn't, doesn't seem like a good enough thing for them to have all this ramp up for. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, and especially because you don't have the seasons of of connection with, with Bill and Bill and Sookie that that other viewers do that that i do since since i've seen it from the beginning so i have spent seasons watching that relationship develop and they were and watching them get engaged and some of this other stuff that's gone down uh such that uh when it when bill drinks the blood and becomes billeth uh that is a much more significant choice than if you've only watched him this season when he's you know started out the season completely disconnected from sucky uh so so i can see definitely how this would be much less significant of a cliffhanger for you than it is for me well it also just felt like it took way too long for that to happen like it took 12 episodes for him like he hasn't like he went from being annoyed with her and being kind of disenfranchised to being really annoyed to being religious to change like it just it just didn't seem like it was i mean he's supposed to be one of the main characters on the show and his entire arc this season was going from annoyed to really annoyed basically well and then again that that's a problem you're gonna have when your entire season takes place over the course of a week or maybe a week and a half and as as we have confirmed for us um by andy the the timeline of this from from when he first met Morella in the woods over a season ago it, that's two weeks so it wouldn't make sense for him to go on a much faster journey just because there's been so little time but that doesn't make it narratively justified that doesn't make it interesting right. so either they needed to do something different with Bill uh, in that time span more interesting or they needed to skip some time between episodes man was i the only one who was really upset that that russell edgerton didn't at least get to eat a few more fairies before he got killed no well yeah actually yes yes you are the only one who's upset because i was very very glad when he just got staked and was dead i loved that anticlimax 
Really? I don't know. I I I, I felt gypped for him. Like he, he should have gotten a little bit more. No, nah, I already saw it. Last, saw that was last year. That was two okay, years ago, enough. actually. There you go. I didn't see that, so I I just I, I wanted a few more minutes of of, of O'Hare hamming, hamming it up before that happened. But oh, I just I found it weird that this super old vampire was just if if he was if if you could just sneak up behind him and stake him, why didn't somebody do it three seasons ago or whatever? Because he was he was high on fairy blood and was uh, distracted by all of the giant the giant feast in front of him that apparently only. Eric uh, and uh, his line are able to not want to immediately eat. Yeah, what about that, eh? Fair enough. I mean, th- there was lots of weird, wacky shit that was fun, like the fly vision, and mm-hmm. actually, in general, everything with the shifters was kind of fun, although, you know, not all that consequential. Yeah, and, and as, as cute as that dog is, the mom's dying, though. You'd think she'd want to hold her kid kid, not her dog kid. Yeah, um, the whole Pam and Tara thing I find a little strange. Just mm-hmm. in terms of, they, there's been literally one scene of foreshadowing for that. Yeah. And that's kind of it. I mean, but then again, I, I I don't really have a good grasp on how the show defines its, vampi- its vampire relations. So mm-hmm. that kind of came out of left field for me and maybe not as much for other people. Yeah, that, that didn't, yeah, I was surprised it happened so quickly. And it is somewhat of a unseating of the standard sire progeny relationship. Um, but then again, Tara's always been uh, strong-willed. Normally, any other uh, sire progeny relationship would be far the the progeny would be far more submissive. Um, and we saw some of that this year. But uh, but Tara, you know, Tara's Tara, and and mm-hmm. I think she and Pam make sense. But I am a little. I would rather that they to. I would be more interested in seeing them, just as not in a romantic relationship. But just as badasses, um, to who, who you know who have that connection the way that that uh, Eric and Pam have that that strong of a connection, which again you probably didn't really see much of this year. Um, but I, that that was scene was worth it, if only for Sookie's reaction and Jessica's reaction, which were hilarious. Yeah, yeah. it's it's funny how little acting Anna Paquin has to do on this show, <laughs> um, considering she's an incredible actress. But she but she did but she did milk. Oh. Okay, in a, in, a, in a in a subtle, understated way, I, I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I also, as much as I I am not at all a fan of ghost mom and dad with Jason, I think that's kind of terrible. I'm hoping that the new showrunner pay, decides to just ignore that. Uh, there were a couple things that were pretty great about that. If the first one of of course Eric just popping his head down and saying "pull over," uh, which was hilarious, and. Uh, and and second of all, it, while it's completely unbelievable that Jason would be able to just pick off vamps left and right with a gun when we've seen vampires outrunning bullets regularly on this show, it was still a pretty cool action sequence. Yeah, and it it was I I like how Jason kind of he he had this perfect balance of goofy and badass. Mm-hmm. Like like he looks ridiculous, but he is being kind of badass right now. So yeah. I'm, I'm gonna give it to him. Yeah, I, I why was he wearing yellow? Sunglasses? No. Does it make maybe any mean? Maybe they were given to him by his ghost parents who thought it was cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess there's a lot of blood splatter when you kill vamps, so maybe that's like a splash guard. Yeah, you really don't <laughs> want vampire blood in your eyes. Yeah, I imagine that would just lead to not not goodness. Speaking of vampire blood le- leading to not goodness, how about that LC plotline that was useless to the overall Good segue. Arc? Yeah, that, that again is a plotline that if they were going to do it, 
it seems like the whole thing could have been done in three episodes max. Yep. I mean, and, you know, Robert Patrick should have gotten more to do also mm-hmm. for that. He was good. Think. But, he, yeah, you know. he's good. He's grizzled. He's always fun to hang out with. But still, um, yeah, that whole thing was just not good enough. Mm-hmm. Not good enough. And uh, also not good enough, the Freet storyline, which did not come back into play in any sort of way at all. Apparently, we're paying no attention to that body Yeah, somewhere. It seemed, a few episodes ago, it seemed like they were going to have all these plot lines coalesce in an interesting way, and then they totally gave up on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the a- Andy has four baby girls. That sounds, seems like a good idea for about 30 seconds. And then, then because of the timeline of the show, he's going to have four babies for the next 10 seasons. <laughs> Yeah, well, I you know, it's TV, so I don't think we're going to see them that much, but yes. Uh, I mean, Chris Bowers was great throughout that whole sequence, uh, and it's always fun to see him play just broad comedy. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Oh, yeah. and the the viewing gallery was also pretty hilarious, and it's nice to yes, get a little yeah. bit more Lafayette that way. Yeah. Um, I, although, again, Lafayette, what the hell was up with Lafayette this season? I mean, this only yep. season that I watched, like, they went from, it, it just seems like they had him be two totally different characters without trying to reconcile them at all. Yep, apparently he doesn't have any Bruja stuff he needs to worry about anymore. Now, now he just gets to be super sassy all the time and make awesome. And they, I, I did want one of his. Kids. I want one of those. I want it now. It's, it's, it's in the morning here, and I don't care. I, do, I want one of those Cajun margaritas right now. Those looked good. Yeah, I mean, half of it was the hype he was giving them, but still. I, I believe it. I believe that Lafayette can make a killer margarita. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, the whole in conclusion. Um, it was a fun watch, uh, but I mean, how does it rank? How, how did the season rank in terms of the show in general? I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing quite low, but yeah, a lot of people are really not fans, uh, in the overall, in the wider critic community, people watched, you know, the first couple episodes that they were sent and said this sucks and didn't watch the rest of the season, um, in general. For, for me, I think it's still a fun show to watch, but you watch it for moments, you don't watch mm-hmm. it for arcs, really. Uh, that is not the case in the earlier seasons. The earlier seasons had some of these problems, but managed to coalesce in a way that was far more interesting and uh, far more coherent. The legwork has been done here for an interesting show, but we need a, a different showrunner, I think. You need a different person in charge of the writer's room saying, no, everything has... Either it it fits with these characters and their arcs and where the story that we're telling about where they're going... Or it's not on the show. So I'm hoping that yeah. next year will be a better season. Yeah. Yeah, that would be nice. Although, I, you know what? I'm going to give Alan Ball props for one thing, which is being the showrunner on this and Six Feet Under and them having absolutely nothing to do with each other and being absolutely nothing alike. Yeah, it's other true. Than, other than featuring ghosts. <laughs> I will give him that. I didn't like Six Feet Under much. And, you know, this has its problems. But, uh, you know, props for that. And, you know, I'm vaguely curious to see what he'll do next, considering maybe he'll do a show about a reality series about bowling. I don't know. (laughs) Well, let's go from uh, True Blood and its interestingly uh, uneven season to The Newsroom, which was very consistent, at least for you, uh, over the course (laughs) of its season. That's The Greater Fool. Right. Uh, You know, I, I, I get the impression from you that I skipped... Uh, I, it seems like when I stopped watching was pretty much exactly when the show got vaguely decent for a bit, and then I came back and it got really terrible again. I could be wrong, but um, 
So, yeah, I mean, before we get to talk about the season, let's talk about this episode by way of a personal anecdote. So at some point in my life, um, I used to know this girl and her and I were such good friends. We were so close that she over the phone would read to me from her diary, which is something that's never that has never happened before or since. And, you know, you you girls will know how uh, how serious that is. And um and at some point while she was reading to me from her diary, she stopped reading to me from her diary because she got to a point that she didn't want to tell me about. And so, of course, for the next several months, I was like, what is that? And I got and I and I, you know, I annoyed her about it a lot. And then eventually I stopped. The thing, though, about that anecdote is that I was 14 years old. The characters on the newsroom behave in fundamentally the same way. And they're supposed to be professional adults. That's the thing about the show that bothers me. There's a lot that bothers me about the show, but that's the single thing that bothers me the most. And then just to be annoying, they, you know, us along with the characters that were already behaving like this and being annoying and horrible, they drag Olivia Munn into it this week, which was just really you're gonna you're gonna do that, all right? Um, but I, I don't know. Am, am I am I overstating the case here, or, or are you having these same issues? Well, I think. I think the thing, the difference I would say to to what to what you just said was that that's pretty much just Jim and Maggie, and this show is a lot more than just Jim and Maggie. Uh, really? So the way the way Mac deals with uh, with Jeff Daniels' character doesn't bother you? The way this week, they... no. This no? week it doesn't. No, and it definitely definitely Mac has been a troublesome character on this show. She's not been very well written for. I feel bad for Emily Mortimer, who's doing her best with the character and making her surprisingly well, likable. She's doing something, yeah. Con- considering what she's been given to say, but I think she's fine here. I didn't have any trouble with her at all. And and, and the way Olivia Munn, who's you know me- who's meant to be this super smart and you know clearly gorgeous adult woman, is just like. I don't have a boyfriend because you didn't ask me out. Really? Like, no, no, see, you that's... Could, you, that's... Couldn't have, you couldn't have phrased that a little better, at least? Okay, so the reason... Okay, yeah. And there have been a lot of people, from what I can tell, people who did, who weren't fans of this episode, uh, who have a huge problem with that scene because of one of two things. Either they feel like everything in the scene before that, um, that twist or whatever, is negated by this, all this really great advice that she's giving Don is negated because you find out, oh, she's just saying that because she likes him. And I don't think that's true at all. If you couldn't tell by my condescending tone, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> or, or this, you know, this, this, yeah, this notion that she's just been sitting around waiting for this guy to like her, which I don't think is either the case either of course the first thing she says is because people are often intimidated by her intelligence and that's not the necessarily the answer that well no she's clearly being facetious with that one but i i don't think i don't think so i don't i think she's giving that as her stock answer i do think that's probably something that that you know an actual you know thing she's not going to be interested in a regular person because she's not a regular person she's a sorkin creation and all sorkin creations are amazing paragons of whatever field they're in um but also i think you know just more of a well i'm single right now because i like you and you but you're not asking me out there's nobody else i'd like right now so i'm not just gonna go find somebody to be in a relationship with come on the way they play that scene is not casual like the way you describe it it's it's dramatic and there's pauses and she's like, 
and she's yeah. hanging on his every word and waiting to see what she's what, what she says and then he doubles back and you know and doubles down on on maggie who everyone is mm-hmm. really into for some reason and um and and she's crushed and then she decides to stay even though she well i think it's more really she's crushed because she's incredibly embarrassed because she put herself out uh out there and got rejected i mean i think that's understandable no, no, yeah, but, that, uh, yeah. but but it's it's not it's a dramatic scene it's not it is a, yeah, but I—I I mean, I, I guess I didn't—I didn't feel that sort of. Um, we're supposed to, you know, think she's some. This is some forever hardcore pining situation. Just she likes this guy, and she, you know, I think they make a lot more sense than uh, than Maggie and uh, and and Don. And I also think it makes sense that Sloane is the kind of character who would have had feelings for this guy for a while, but not expressed it or shown it anyway because that's not professional and because he's with somebody else um and so when she's leaving that's when she says something now whether that's believable that she would actually think she's going to take this other job and then and then officially take it and then drop it within a course of a week is you know i'm I'm more willing to discuss that but uh yeah, yeah that, that i guess that's a long way of saying that i i didn't really have that big of a problem with that scene let's talk about how terrible maggie is and how terrible jim is yeah okay first of all allison pill my God, Allison Pill, I love you, but you need to get out of this show. This show is not. You need to. It's you not need good. to kill Aaron Sorkin or something. You need to find a way out because this character is doing you no favors. Uh, I mean, I, I almost want to give her props because if you if you look at what she's doing in that horrible, horrible, horrible bus sequence, now she's given her, she's doing her best. Mm-hmm. But just everything about the scene is just so horrible and offensive and wrong. Well. The the um the biggest problem I have with that scene and the all the scenes around it are, are is the fact that in this and and maybe this is incredibly well structured character development from Sorkin's part and maybe it's intentional, but when did Don become the good guy in that triangle? Because he is because Maggie is an idiot who I have no respect for because of how she's uh, what she's doing, Jim is an asshole uh, because he's been he's after, you know, already going out with Lisa when he didn't like, like her, he's still going out with Lisa can worked his ass off when she did the right thing to get her to undo the right thing so that he could go out with her for two months more. And when he really is in love with somebody else who who is her best friend uh, and, and just, like these are terrible, terrible people. It's not just me, right? When did Don become the good guy? Well, and also, and Don's kind of an asshole too. I mean, like I know that compared but, to just, Jim, it, com- comparatively is what I'm comparatively going with. yes. But Don also, he's an asshole in the other sense where he's just so passive and so useless, like uselessly passive. Like if he had one honest conversation with anyone, so much would be fixed. And well, or I feel like it's well. That's all of them, though. Yes. Yeah, and that's what I mean when I'm talking about how all these characters, it's not just Jim and Maggie. All these characters are behaving like children. Yeah, see, I'm still not bothered by, uh, it's just the Maggie love triangle that's bothering me right now. But but it's like a love pentangle now, isn't it? Well, yeah, but I don't, I mean, like we already talked about, I didn't really have a problem with Sloane in this episode. I didn't, I didn't have a problem with Don in this episode. Uh, but, I uh, just this, had a problem this, with Maggie and Jim. This this episode had lots of other problems we can talk Let's about. Let's talk about For those. Instance, the resolution to the whole 
or I assume it's resolution, but the whole TMI wiretapping thing was so lame. I'm sorry. The whole scene with with Jane Fonda and her son and the tape recorder and the fake uh, piece of paper was just so cliched, so not funny, so not dramatically interesting. Jane Fonda's switch from, you know, she-demon to uh, to quietly admiring of the news lady was just not believable at all mm-hmm. and uh, and super corny and i don't know not i absolutely nothing about the way that ended worked for me okay yeah i, I thought jane fonda was good in that scene and uh i thought i thought the performances for the most part were, were i thought they worked it would be nice to see the jane fonda character given any depth or interest in the next season, because I think there's a lot of potential. When you have Jane Fonda, how do you give her this little to do? How do you give her this kind of writing, really, right? Um, yeah. That could be said of most of the cast, I guess. Um, yeah, it wasn't good, and the fact that they don't address the larger journalistic ethics of ha- of having that information and not re- revealing it and not taking it to the police is is not good. Yeah, the, the, they, they really the should you... have had a line of we don't have any actual evidence and this would not be this tape we just have that's covering our asses would not be admissible in court right yeah it's like it, it i love how in britain it's a huge deal people are people might go to jail it's it's a it's a scandal you're hearing about every day on the news on the newsroom in the states it's this is a private matter we're gonna we're gonna settle it over uh yeah over a single lunch date basically and it's just so that my personal reputation isn't going to go, isn't going to be in tatters. Well, and then the fact that if slash when this comes out, all of their reputations are destroyed because they didn't report this. They covered yeah. up for their parent company. Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, nothing about it makes sense. Nothing. And it's even worse in the context of this show, which is trying to, which has these characters trying so hard to be moral and highfalutin and, mm-hmm. and you know, look after the greater good. And they're not doing that at all. <laughs> now, the what I will give this episode absolute credit for, though, is for fixing several of the issues that I had with the show or with early plot lines and fixing them before. Because, of course, all these episodes were made before the first one aired. So while the clo- the scene with the the girl from the pilot coming back was the 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 level of condescension of of McAvoy in that scene was terrible. I kept waiting for him to apologize um for, you know, or yeah, but, wasn't gonna happen. but but the the fact that he blames her for his meltdown and his freakout is just ridiculous. But the concept of her coming back and bringing it back to that I think is is interesting. Um, and I think she's treated, that character is treated with a lot more respect. Now you could argue about whether or not that, that is just because she's decided that Will is right and therefore we can treat her with respect. Um, other, of course, Will still calls her girl, but then again, you just, you just uh, called every person who uses a diary girl. So, you know, bam jab okay yeah Oak. sorry you're right yes i you I know was... so that you know so you know that that happens in daily speech um although to be fair i said girl because it was a girl in the context of the of the story i was i was telling but yeah no it was a fuck up yeah. anyway <laughs> moving on so there's that but then also the treatment of the gospel columnist in this episode i thought was a really intelligent way to end that 
story to bring it back to that character and and show that she's not some evil bitchy uh superficial person this is her job and and i got no sense from that character that she was somehow changed by the great will mcavoy you know or that she was a different person i just you know got more of a sense that this is who this person is and although uh, she did seem a little bit too interested in in his in his love life i don't know Okay, I, I I think the reason that we saw her playing that tape at the end was just her to it, it was just um it wasn't about uh, Mac or what he was saying it was her deciding if she was gonna delete it. Well, yeah, that obviously too. Although, can I just mention if I never hear Babbo Riley uh-huh. on television again, it'll be too goddamn soon. <laughs> this was another issue, another pervasive issue with the show is just the worst, the worst music supervision on tv holy crap yeah there's there's great you know we're, we talked about we just talked about true blood they have a lot of really great music we're gonna talk about breaking bad next they have a lot of really great music newsroom no not not good choices uh i don't know what else is there to bitch about um i don't know this show sucked it, it just, <laughs> this was not a good tv series by any standard um you know the honestly the only real um the only real consistent pleasure to be had was there's a collection of very strong actors but man the material was not good the uh i mean i mean maybe it's just me and i don't want to go on about this too much longer but i also felt like there was there was this implicit suggestion in this episode that you know when this article comes out and, and jeff daniels is really hurt it feels really like sorkin is preemptively reacting to people not liking his show at all and just being really uh being kind of a little bitch about it i don't know like he's just <laughs> like it, it just feels like he's and with that last scene with jeff daniels like yeah like my show sucks but i'm still here i'm not changing and uh deal with it <laughs> and it's just not good enough I guess I would be a little bit more charitable, but no, it is definitely an interesting parallel. I think yeah, that, but it's, yeah, it's I, I very think, interesting. I think the the problem is it's not self-critical. It's just self-explanatory. That's and true. It should, and it should be self-critical on a, on a show where, you know, this idea of hard hitting world changing, you know, journalism is basically just railing at the tea party, which is the easiest thing in the entire universe to do. You know, that's just not good enough. Okay. But you know it's renewed, so it's renewed. <laughs> I guess I'm gonna watch next season. Uh, I assume you're not. Yes. Uh, well, if it keeps being this much fun to talk about, of course I am. <laughs> but let's let's go next to Breaking Bad because we are we're, it's uh, we've been going for a while here. Everybody it's our wins. Birthday, whatever. Um, yeah, I mean this is you know it's the one where Mike dies. Can we can we get that mm-hmm. out of the way? Um, yeah. That was. I mean. The thing about Mike's death is it's handled to me a lot like Gus's, where it's it's orchestrated in a way that it's it's very clear to me. Even before we see that gun, it's clear where this is going, and you know they don't go for the sort of grandioseness of Gus's death, but they do go for that sort of crushing inevitability. And hey, at least Mike got the closest thing the show will afford anyone to a dignified exit. That's true. True. Uh, you know, he, he got to watch the sunset and he got to have an entire face. <laughs> and uh, I, do you think he's going to get melted? Or do you think he's going to be left there? Oof. 
Um, I think he'll probably get melted. <laughs> oh, Breaking Bad. I think everybody... If there, there should, that could have been a tagline for this season, everybody melts. <laughs> the um, Yeah, this, this episode, I thought it was good. I liked it. Um, obviously, you, as you guys can tell, it's not in our spotlight um, this week. And that's a lot. I think a lot of that's due to the fact that we're going to be spotlighting the entire season next week. Yes. So we'll have plenty of time to talk about it in greater length there. Um, from, I have two main scenes from this episode that I particularly enjoyed, which were I loved the the, the Jesse leaves scene with Walt. Yeah. That was that was great. I really enjoyed that. And if this show had the balls to have Jesse actually not be in it for most of the rest of the show, I would I would probably respect it more. Mm -hmm. But you know, another possibility that is that I saw floated elsewhere is that we're about to get a Jesse Skyler team up. Is you may have noticed there are a couple of scenes. There's a scene or two this week where they 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 exchange some interesting glances. And they kind of okay. have a lot in common. Yeah. Um, I just, I guess I, you know, that would be, that'd be fun to watch. I just feel like um, at this point, Jesse has said he's going to leave. And I will, I guess, respect him a lot less when he doesn't. Well, we'll see. If, I mean, if only because this scene where he le says he's leaving is so good. And yeah. I believe him so completely. Well, I think if he if 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 and when he comes back, it has to be for a reason other than money, or to help Walt. Yes, I think, and and who knows what that could be because it's Breaking Bad, and they can, they're generally pretty good at justifying their uh, their plot contortions. Yeah, but you know, to to have Jesse, uh, call him, call Walt on, dude, you are whistling. Uh, I don't think he specifically he says say that, it, but but yeah, but but lying. that's that notion of there's no you you were you're okay with this and that's I'm not sticking around for that because that's fucked up. Um, yeah, that was great. Uh, and so if we have Walt pull the wool over his eyes again, it's really hard for me to respect that character. Mm -hmm. And Todd taking up the mantle was so perfect to me. Just yeah, he's he's such a little sociopath. He's such a perfect <laughs> pair. Uh, with with Walt and I, I like the way I had this process it, in my head of when he says, "Oh, I, we can talk about money after um, after I get the 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 cook right." I thought, "Oh, mm. that's nice." Oh, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so many reasons why that process was wrong. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I really I, I, my I guess the main question for next week is is Walt really going to have the ingenuity and the opportunity to kill all nine of those guys. Like, are they really yeah, going to do we'll, that um, next week? We'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, I'm not actually that interested in, in that part of it. Uh, I'm not actually anti seeing Lydia some more, which is progress with that character. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, no, I just, I'm most interested in, in Jesse, hopefully not being around that much or <laughs> a good reason for him to be there. I'm interested in Jesse if there's a good reason for him to be okay. there. I'm interested in Skylar and and the and then Hank and Marie and Gomez. Okay. I loved Gomez this week. That just Gomez that grin. Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. And then the other moment that I besides that grin, which was just amazing, that I really enjoyed was that that uh, montage in the middle with the fabulous music. I yes. loved it. Yeah. So that good. Was, that was great. I was watching it going, there's our spotlight music. 
and then just we decided not to spotlight it uh that, so right. so uh no but it's just great when you can when when i'm watching it and i go that music mm. is amazing and i really like this sequence uh yeah so Breaking i Bad has that. the best music supervision on tv just to just to compare but uh yeah i mean mostly i'm i'm interested to see where it heads next week and um whether they're going to end this half season treat it like a season finale and end it really big or whether it's going to be sort of a mild cliffhanger mm-hmm yeah, I was. Uh, it, I'm really getting to the point where, as great as the show is, I'm having trouble enjoying it uh, because of kind of what has to happen. So, as we talked about this right at the start of this season, it became clear pretty quickly that Walt was gonna, Walt and Mike were gonna have have conflicts, and Walt was gonna end up killing Mike. And that was going to happen sooner rather than later. And so when you get to the point where you know it's coming, it's I really like Mike. He's one of the few characters in the show that I actually like. Mm-hmm. And so that's not enjoyable for, for me right, to continue. Yeah. And it feels like it's going to be uh, just a run of those going up towards the finale. And then either Walt will get away or he won't. Um, and so I'm not looking forward to watching these people whose lives I still care about somewhat all get destroyed by Walt. Right, which, I mean, we'll have to talk about that more next week, but it'll be interesting to see if the show has enough ingenuity to engineer sort of third ways out mm-hmm. of what we what we think are, are sort of binary story issues. Yeah. Or whether it's – because we really don't know how – I mean, this we, we there's never been a show run by Vince Gilligan before. We don't know how he likes to end things. So it's, it's mm-hmm. uncharted territory uh, in some respects. Last thing I wanted to mention, since you mentioned Mike – um, actually, the another great moment, although totally different from the Gomez one, that split second where he thinks about going back for his granddaughter and then realizes he can't is, mm-hmm. oh, oh, that was brilliant. Kills you. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens next week and we'll have lots more to say on the subject of Breaking Bad and endings. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Ricky's joining us for that, yes? I believe so, although he's in Spain, so I don't really know. We'll see what happens. Uh, next on Monday, we have Grimm and Bad Moon Rising. And I actually, I really dug this episode. It was, first of all, we had some of our favorite guest stars. It had Mark Pellegrino, um, the who, Jacob from Lost, as well as Lucifer on uh, Supernatural, slightly different roles there. Um, and then John Piper Ferguson as well. And this was, uh, the, the monsters were, were cool in this, coyotes, so coyote kind of ones, the there's a uh, very creepy sort of base to it, but mostly this was the episode where Hank finds out about everything, and he's okay with it. He, you know, once he adjusts, he's like, "Good as good to know that I'm not crazy." And I think the it's about time that they dealt with that that problem in the show of you know who knows what, and I think that they have uh, they've done a good job with that transition. So I look forward to, to more from Hank as as we continue. And then also the other thing I'll say is the way that they're handling Juliet, I think is also really good where she woke up without her memory, but she woke up with only the chunks of her memory that have Nick in them gone. So she remembers everything else. She remembers who she is, her job, her house, her friends. She remembers Monroe, and, and, you know, everything about him other than, I don't think she knows about the whole wolf thing, but she doesn't remember Nick. So she remembers dinner parties that she was at with all of her friends and Nick and remembers the entire party, except that he was there. Uh, and so I think that's a much more interesting way to approach the amnesia thing than anything else I would have expected them to come up with. 
So I'm looking forward to seeing kind of what path that takes. And uh, I think they're doing a pretty good job this year with Grimm. We have uh, Matt covering Grimm for us at Sound on Sites. You can look up and find his review. It should be up by the time that this is up. And, uh, you know, feel free to leave comments there and uh, let me know. If you're watching Grimm and you're digging it too, drop me a line because I don't really know that many people who are watching it right now. So I'm liking it. Next, we have Alphas, and that's our, this is our last one of the week, Alphaville. It's the return of Summer Glau. What do you think? And speaking of John Piper Ferguson, he's just everywhere, I guess. Um, yeah, this one didn't do a whole lot for me. A couple of amazing Gary moments, especially, um, I wonder what their powers are. He can open doors. <laughs> 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 that was my second biggest laugh of the week. It's it's always disconcerting when I watch Alphas because I always watch it about three in the morning and I'm always laughing mm -hmm. way too much and way too loud. But uh, I don't know. The whole commune setting wasn't really that interesting to me, nor was its leader. We got and also we I'm sorry, but we got some kind of lame alpha powers this week. Like I can control the bees. Really? Like I, I get that would be that would be a cool party trick. But just, you know, really, you can control the bees. All right. Yeah, or he can communicate with animals. Well, yeah. Well, we don't we don't actually know if he can or not. He it seems to be limited to bees, as we you know we got from also him. That's having... the only thing we saw. Well, and and we the only other thing we heard about was the honey wines. I'm assuming it's kind of just bees, but um, so I feel, I felt bad for that guy. <laughs> but um, anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. The it didn't really advance the master plot a whole lot, and I mean it was nice to get Summer Glau back, and I assume we're going to be seeing her a few more times. But and I really didn't like that beat of 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 her being like I don't like my daughter and then the daughter hearing it and running away and like really we're gonna do that scene all right but um, yeah I don't know it was a I would say a below average episode of Alphas I yeah I definitely liked this one a lot more than you did I thought uh, I, I very much enjoyed Summer Glau on the show it was very nice to have someone for Nina to talk to and mm, relate yeah. with and because I've been missing those scenes due to the how messed up everything is with Nina and the other people. Uh, I liked the kid. I thought she was adorable. And also, just the fact that she calls her kid Digit, I think, is a, is really cute. And maybe I'm easy. I don't know. Uh, the the, uh, the I thought the powers were actually pretty cool that we saw. Um, and I now that, uh, what is it, Heat Dude has can drip fire. That's pretty awesome. Uh, and apparently it's permanent, so that's that's interesting. And uh, yeah, I think the just getting them out in nature and, and watching Gary's, you know, freaking out about the aurora borealis, and you know, watching him trying to deal with that was was pretty great. So I think they've done an interesting thing this season where they've expanded most of the main cast's abilities, either either gradually or with these. Um, these light flashy thingy, whatever it is. Right. Now that, that takes me to the main problem I had with the episode outside of the terrible opening scene dialogue, which is, I felt like I was being bludgeoned by the exposition fairy. Uh, the, uh, the resolution with Rachel doesn't make any sense and feels like an utter cheat. And I expect better yeah. from them. Yeah, well, it's weird that she can just sort of dial back the powers, and apparently Pyro guy can't, or maybe he just doesn't want to, and I don't know. Or, it's, or it's she never, we never see her doing that. The first time we see her doing that is when she is able to just make out with this guy now, even though earlier in the episode, even being touched was too much, you know, stimulus. Well, or she's, it's kind of ambiguous, but maybe she's just embracing the overstimulus, 
is sort of how I took it. But yeah, my, my actual problem wasn't with that. It was just with this idea of, oh, you've gotten too much power via this machine, but you don't have to uh, take it that way. You can just dial it back, which just didn't seem right to me. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see where they go. Um, I think the prospect of more Summer Glau, uh, I think is a good thing, though uh, I would enjoy her most as she's her ability is too useful for her to be on the show every week, I think. Um, so I think if she can be a recurring, a slightly more frequent recurring guest, that would be the way I would go with that character. But I mean, she's I, you basically know, MacGyver. But basically, but I, I don't see how that makes her more useful than, say, Nina. But, you know. Or at least not more Be powerful. But well, see, Nina but Nina problems. has a downside. Right. We yeah. have not seen any downside to to Summer Glass. Well, she has character. a kid who won't stop talking. That's kind of a downside. <laughs> Final thoughts. I'm just hoping we get more alphas in the future because nobody's watching it. Yeah, really, right? Why aren't people? Why aren't you watching this show? Well, actually, yes. If you're listening to this, you probably are watching the show. But uh, <laughs> get your friends to watch this show. Yeah, I need more Gary in my life. Yeah, I, I would be really sad if Alpha's got canned after the season because uh, the point's been made elsewhere that um, it doesn't necessarily fit in well with the rest of sci-fi's offerings, which is true. Mm -hmm. So maybe, or maybe it's better off somewhere else, or maybe all the other shows are better off improving. I don't know. <laughs> well, but to be fair, how many other shows do you watch? Yeah, I don't. I'm just. I'm, there you I'm go. Just, there you go. <laughs> I'm just being a dick. Um, also, I will mention that you can that we also have reviews of alphas up at Sounded Site that Dan does. So if you're looking for more alphas talk, you can find it there. So that was our week in TV, and now we'll take a break, listen to some clips and some music, and come back with our first annual Make You Watchathon, Thirty for Thirty, and Doctor Who. Before the game, for sportsmanship. I go out to shake John Stark's hand, and he wouldn't even shake my hand. So I'm like, what's up with that? I had no problems with John before that, so I was like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. And from that point on, I made it a mission. I'm going to embarrass this kid. For Reggie, the Knicks, and in Indiana, it was almost a biblical proportion. You had Indiana, the holy city, and you had New York, Sodom and Gomorrah. Indiana, Knicks, woo, those were blood battles. It was our good Midwestern heroes against their big city slickers, Knicks versus Knicks. This is more than just a basketball series. This is a morality play. A passion play that was great, great theater. The library. So big it doesn't need a name. Just a great big blur. It's like a city. It's a world. Literally, a world. The whole core of the planet is the index computer. Biggest hard drive ever. And up here, every book ever written. Whole continents of Jeffrey Archer, Bridget Jones, Monty Python's Big Red Book. I'm courtesy mode 710 slash aqua. Please enjoy the library. I respect the personal access codes of all your fellow readers, regardless of species or hygiene taboo. Additional, there follows a brief message from the head librarian for your urgent attention. It has been edited for tone and content by Thelman Lux Automated Decency Filter. Message follows. Run. For God's sake, run. 
This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell, and that was the theme to Doctor Who, one of the great television themes of all time. At least it holds a very special place in my heart because I am a hardcore Whovian. I wish I could say lifelong, but really I only uh, found Who in the past five years or so. But you are not a Who fan and have long fought against the theory of Who without having seen it. and. Right. When we were trying to think, what should we do for our one-year anniversary for the Televerse, you had the idea of... I had the idea of, essentially, it started with, with who, but the, the the wider idea turned out to be, hey, let's make each other watch stuff that we wouldn't necessarily ordinarily have watched. Unfortunately for me, there's, you know, you're not one of these people who possesses, you know, outspoken illogical biases so there's nothing really that i can make you watch that would give me the same satisfaction as you making me watch doctor who so uh i so anyway the 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 best thing i could think of to do was just to throw out a series that i figured wouldn't you was just a little out of your way so you you know you may not have had time to check it out so um what's going to happen is you're going to talk about uh, 30 for 30 the espn documentary series which i uh, got really into last year uh, after it came out on dvd and actually, you've now seen more of it than I have, so there you go. I guess you're the expert. And uh, after that, I'm going to talk about um, Doctor Who. Oh, yes, but I'm also going to talk about Doctor Who. So we're going to both talk. Yeah, yes, <laughs> we're both going to talk about both of those things that I just mentioned. I'm good at this. Uh, so <laughs> I, I'm sure I'm sure there's like at least four of you out there who are very eager to hear about the Doctor Who part. You're not getting that yet, so We're going to kick it off with, yeah, with some, some 30 for 30, though I will... Uh, I, I do want to qualify your statement. It wasn't just that you came up with the idea of why don't we each pick something for the other to watch. You said, well, I guess I could watch Doctor Who for our anniversary. Right. So it's entirely well, you your know, fault. I, I live to please, I guess. I live to please somebody. <laughs> Let, let's talk about uh, 30 for 30, which, for those who don't know, was the documentary series that ESPN put out for their 30th anniversary, which was back in uh, 2009. And I was expect I wasn't quite sure what to expect other than I heard it was really great. And I mean, I'm a sports fan to at least some extent. My Bears are doing good. We're two for three right now preseason, and uh, we're looking pretty good. We actually have an offense this year, but I digress. Uh, so, so this wasn't really uh, that out of the way for me, other than I just hadn't seen any of it because I had missed that month when it all aired, right. or that yeah. you know few months. So you gave me a list of a few to watch. I ended up watching half of them. I watched fifteen of them because they're at the library and they're free. So you know, go to yeah. Me. I only suggest. I actually only suggested three, and you watched five times as much as I told you to watch. Well, I I, I assumed that they were going to be like full length feature documentaries, and I right. felt bad about giving you six episodes of Doctor Who and only watching three when I found out that they were like forty five minutes for the most part. 
Right. So I so and I then I really enjoyed them. So I watched a bunch more. I kind of went down the list and saw at the library and saw the ones that were there that seemed the most interesting. And I think it while in general they are they're well made and they're about interesting uh, aspects of either sports fandom or sports history or sociological issues that are tied up with some sort of uh, significant sporting event. There, there is a pretty wide margin, I would say, between the best of the series and the average episode. Right, and I, and that's sort of to be expected when you know this isn't this isn't a, a standard TV series where you have a showrunner and you know you have guaranteed quality control on some level this is 30 films made by 30 different filmmakers or sets of filmmakers on 30 very different subjects often using totally uh, divergent approaches so you know you'll you've got directors everything you know everyone from steve nash who did hoop dreams to ice cube because why not mm -hmm. and um, the, the three in particular that i uh, that i made you watch um i think are the are great examples of what the show's capable of that have basically nothing to do with each other so um, there's the, the first one, which I, I know you were kind of uh, iffy on, is uh, Peter Berg's uh, King's Ransom, which is about um, Wayne Gretzky and his and his trade over to L.A. and sort of the effects it had on, on both Canada and the States in terms of hockey fandom. It, I, I should mention now, I don't care about sports. I really, really, <laughs> really don't care about sports. I don't do them. I don't really like them. I think they're a huge distraction a lot of the time, but... What I love about this series is the way it depicts how people's hopes and dreams and uh, and even their lives, their, their, their livelihoods and their actual lives get tied up in these processes that are basically arbitrary um, or, you know, if not arbitrary, then at least, you know, commanded by forces that are unseen to us. And um, and yeah, that that to me is a great example of that, where. So many, um, you know, there's the threat of financial ruin and, uh, and you know, massive national upset over a sports trade, which only a very select hand view, like a, a select number of people control that and nobody else. And uh, I don't know, that, stuff like that I, I find innately fascinating. Yeah, I think that, I think one of my big takeaways with 30 for 30 was that while there are the overall, like I said before, the overall quality is really good. A lot of this, oh, and also there are just a few uh, of, of these that are just, it doesn't matter who you are, they're really good. They're great, I would say. But for mm -hmm. the most part, I think it really depends on the context that the viewer is bringing to it and what you're interested in. Because uh, for me, King's Ransom, well, while I actually very much appreciated the sociological element to it, the 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 way that Edmonton was affected by this, which I was not as aware of, you know, for me, it was a parallel to maybe like a Flint, Michigan situation where they're really yeah. worried about the entire economy collapsing if Gre if Gretzky leaves. That was really interesting. But I felt like for the most part, it was really stretching for time. And I was less engaged with, with the less sociological elements to the to the episode or to the to the documentary, whereas uh, and, and then another one a lot of people really enjoy is July, was it 17th? Uh, June 17th, June 17th 1994. 1994. And that one also wasn't very interesting to me just because I remembered a lot of that footage, at least from the from the car chase with O.J. Simpson. And so while and, and while it was interesting to see all these different sporting events juxtaposed on the same day, I was looking for context. I was looking for something other than footage I had already seen. 
Right. Well, the the thing about, and I, I agree, it's not one of my favorites, although I know a lot of people really love that one. The, the, the cool thing about that particular film is that it, it's taking a stylistic approach that it's totally different from everything else in the series where it's only using archival footage and it's not so much about creating context. Uh, actually, it's about a lack of context. It's about just looking at the day and no other days, and which is a totally divergent approach from most documentaries, let alone the rest of the series. So I, I can see how some people found that really fascinating and other people like you and I found it just kind of trivial. I think is maybe the word I'm I'm going for. It's just that I didn't feel like I learned anything or saw anything in that that I didn't already know. And I kept waiting. And I'm sure it really didn't benefit from the raised expectations that I brought based on how strong of an affinity that so many people have for this particular one. I'm sure that really didn't help. But I kept waiting for some sort of insight which is, you know, that's why I watch documentaries. I want to learn something. I want to see something I haven't seen before right. in some way. And I didn't feel like I got that much from that one. And I was curious to see because of, you know, you were in Canada, you didn't necessarily get bombarded with that footage in the same way. I was curious, right. you know, if that made a difference to you. Uh, I mean, I'd seen less of it, but I mean, even if you haven't seen the footage, it's such a part of the public consciousness that you kind of, you have a, you have a, a feel for it. Uh, so I so I wasn't that surprised with that stuff either. Um, the other two, uh, that wasn't one of the three I, I, I suggested, but it is sort of a favorite. Um, the second one was called Winning Time, which is about Reggie Miller and the, the New York Knicks. And it's the best. It's it hilarious, rules. and it's very well put together. It has this very strong narrative. It has insightful and hilarious commentary from a lot of people. And mm-hmm. given the nature of so many of these you know, subjects that the, that these documentaries are addressing, it was no, it was small stakes. It was uh, we really yeah. want to win, and we hope we win, and we didn't win, but nobody died. <laughs> yeah, um, it's that has to be one of the most entertaining hours of television of the last. Well, a little over, like hour ten, like seven. Yeah, it, it it zooms right by. It's one of the most entertaining programs i've seen in the last uh, decade just any it, again it's about a sport i have no interest in but it's but it that one in particular is just about characters real life characters wa- watching them interact from miller to his sister cheryl to especially cheryl, spike lee cheryl. I, I love i love the spike lee segments i love him holding up the new york post uh-huh. with uh with, with them lambasting him and him just loving it just eating it up <laughs> like just one of the ultimate real life trolls right there well speaking of eating it up i loved all the opera what a perfect musical cue to to keep coming back to to mm-hmm. to to depict this uh, rivalry between these right. two teams it was great yeah if if, if you want to make a really small stakes issue seem really big throw in some opera so yeah that that one is i i've probably seen that one a dozen times um and uh, the third one is the exact opposite of uh, of winning time. It's a, a very, very dark, uh, quite uh, very high stakes, actually life or death stakes, the highest stakes of the entire series, uh, is called uh, The Two Escobars. And it's the only, as far as I know, it's the only one that was made for this series that ended up getting a, a theatrical release of any kind. It was, I, although I think there may have been a difference in the uh, in the cut length. And uh, that one, I mean, it's, you know, it's about Pablo Escobar and soccer and life and death and coincidence and fate and mistakes that get people killed. And it's just brutal and epic, I think. Yeah, I mean, I I liked it. It was good. 
I didn't like it as much as everybody else seems to, but it's still very interesting and well-made. And, and also, like I said, I, when I watch a documentary, I want to learn something. And it was very informative, I think, of that time. The, the thing for me, and again, I'm sure high, raised expectations didn't help. Uh, the I was really engaged with the first two-thirds of it, shall we say. And then at a certain point, you kind of know what's going to happen. Uh, and so it, the end <laughs> felt more like, uh, let's get to it kind of situation. Not enough, uh, not enough twists for you? That doesn't need to have twists. It's just because this was a trend that I noticed in several of these. I felt like a lot of them were stretching for time. To Escobar's wasn't stretching for time. I just maybe I was just tired on the day that I watched it. And mm-hmm. so it's like, yep, that guy's going to die and this guy's going to get arrested. We know it's happening. That's just let's get there. And and mm-hmm. maybe I just wasn't engaged enough with the personal uh, anecdotes and with, you know, the interviews and stuff. It, because of, you know, maybe I was tired, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, any Fair number enough. of things. Uh, but I did think it was very good. One of the other ones that I very much enjoyed, I thought was very well put together, was The 16th Man, which is about Nelson Mandela and the uh, rugby uh, World World Cup in South Africa. And the one, the reason that I would highlight that one, there are a lot of other ones that I very much enjoyed. Like I said, I saw half of them. Um, but the reason I really enjoyed that is who they chose to interview was really interesting they they interviewed people who had been uh who who were who had been fighting apartheid who are current political activists they interviewed people who were working in the apartheid regime who were high high up in the apartheid regime they interviewed players who had been on the team before during and after they they interviewed a really wide array of or a wide cultural spectrum of what was very tumultuous place and time and we got all their perspectives and i thought it was a very well made and and well put together document of not just nelson mandela is great but of what all of these individual experiences were in what was a very tricky time for that country Mm -hmm. yeah that one unfortunately i haven't seen yet but uh, i'm I'm quite curious too there's there's a few i I was hoping to get to that i didn't uh, the terry fox one in particular directed by steve nash Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure is very good and will probably make me cry a lot. <laughs> and um, I didn't get to see the Alan Iverson one either, which I believe is called No Crossover. And um, I guess uh, we, we should we should move on soon. One of the main reasons I I thought Thirty for Thirty would be a good pick, as opposed to something that I thought you might act, you might actually dislike and we'd have an argument about, is uh, ESPN is starting a new season. I guess if you want to call it that, it's a, it's a pretty epic season of uh, Thirty for Thirty in October. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that I assume is just going to be basically basically nonstop. So looking forward to uh, hopefully adding it to the Televerse roster, assuming that they don't churn out two hour movies every week and make us want to die. Well, as I understand it, there are only six uh, that they they're doing for this uh, next installment. So it's just going to run through October um, and then they're going to have one episode in December about Bo, Bo Jackson. So it, it'll be a definitely a truncated uh, version of it. So I think we'll be able to, to we should be able to follow uh, along with right. it, but I'm definitely interested uh, in seeing, I'll, I'll try to, I'm sure I'll catch all of these actually in this, this new 30 for 30. And hopefully if you're out there and you are interested and you want to cover it for some on site, let us know. Cause we're looking for somebody to cover 30 for 30 for us. Totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's definitely a series that could use more exposure. I mean, obviously it's, it did okay if they're making more of them, but uh, you know, there's, there's a dearth of uh, excellent documentary on television. And so there's a lot, a lot of reality TV, not a lot of documentary. 
and I like sports and I liked it and you don't like sports and you liked it too. So you don't have yes. to like sports to like th this yeah, series. If anything, I liked it more than you did. So. Mm -hmm. Probably. But uh, speaking of, I liked it more than you did. Let's let's move on to Doctor Who. And uh, let's just, I'm just going to preface this with, I had you watch two episodes or one story. There's a whole background uh, thing to why we, Doctor Who, in Doctor Who it's called a story, not just an episode. I had you watch three two-part stories one for each of the modern doctors, so Eccleston and then Tennant and then Matt Smith. Uh, those three uh, episodes or stories were the the Empty Child and the Doctor Dances for the Ninth Doctor, and then the uh, Silence in the Library and Force of the Dead for the Tenth Doctor, and then the Impossible Astronaut Day of the Moon for the Eleventh Doctor. And why don't you give those who don't know somehow? Uh, of sort of your background with Doctor Who before this and what you thought of these episodes. And I'll try not to jump in too much. Right. So, uh, well, I'm going to need your, your assistance with this anyway. Um, so I, I work with, are you, or rather I used to work, I moved, but I used to work with a lot of Whovians and, um, I would, I'd catch snippets of episodes at work and whenever anyone would discuss any aspect of Doctor Who, it always just sounded really, really annoying. So <laughs> I just, I, I, I fostered this, this bone deep distrust of Doctor Who that wasn't really fair, but you know, such is life. So then of course, uh, when we were thinking of what to do for this, I thought, you know what? It's, it's, it's time. It's time I sit down and watch some Doctor Who. We already went over the Whedon hump, so we may as well undo every other aspect of my personality while we still can. So, uh, Doctor Who. So I have a question before we discuss the episodes. Uh, why these three stories? Well, the, there's a couple reasons uh, that I chose these. First of all, to be honest, it, the Ninth Doctor, you know, Eccleston was only there for one season. And while there's a lot of really, uh, there's a lot of fun episodes in that first season, it's not quite as sure of itself uh, as compared to some of the other seasons. So there's more peaks and valleys. And I'm a big fan of Stephen Moffat's writing. He is the guy who's currently running the show. He does Sherlock. He did Coupling. And, and some other things that we'd like. And so, f first of all, I think the Empty Child Doctor Dances is creepy. I think the monster is really creative and creepy. And second, the other episode that came to mind for the Ninth Doctor is one where it's a really good episode, but it's you'll appreciate it more if you're invested in the characters. So I didn't yeah. want to have you dive in with that. I also didn't want to have you dive in with the Daleks and with all that other stuff, because that adds all the baggage to, you know, to Doctor Who that not everybody's a fan of. Some people love, some people are really tired of. So I figured that was an easy way in. And plus the BBC is usually pretty good at period dramas. And that was a, that was a historical one set in the past. Then we had for the 10th Doctor, one that's set in the future. And so I thought that was a nice, you know, kind of jump. And, and that one introduced this character of River Song, who is much more prominent in the 11th Doctor's reign. And, and I knew pretty much whatever episode I picked from the 11th Doctor was going to have her. And I like that two-parter as well. And I like that companion. That's one of my favorite companions. And again, written by Stephen Moffat. Uh, and then the 11th one, I picked that one for the 11th one because it just looks really pretty. Because they shot in America. They shot in in uh, in Utah in these amazing, gorgeous vistas. And also, I just think it's a really fun uh, episode that gives you a strong sense of Stephen Moffat's personality as a uh, who showrunner there's lots of jumping through time and and playing with things which is much a different kind of approach 
than Russell Davies, who was the showrunner for the first uh, five, four seasons and a bunch of specials of the new show. Moffat brings, as a showrunner, brings a lot a different flavor to it. So I've, I felt like there was a good call for the a right call for the ninth Doctor. There are more choices for the tenth, but I went with this because of River. And then with the eleventh, I went with that because I think the visuals are really nice. Okay. Um, I, after watching these six episodes, first of all, I I kind of got the sense that besides all the other reasons you you specified, I feel like you were quite. Uh, I could be wrong, but I, I feel like you probably avoided sort of wackier episodes. Am I am I uh, am I totally off here? I did go with ones that that were a little more substantive. Um, I wasn't trying to avoid wacky, but I thought that mm -hmm. that these stories give you a good sense of the different doctors' personalities. Okay. And there are some, especially in that first season. There's this one alien that they have that's just terrible and um and and i think doctor who has this great dichotomy where it's a show that was created and not for its entire but for a lot of its run for whom the the primary audience is intended to be children but it's also really scary when it wants to be and mm -hmm. i i enjoy that dichotomy so i went more for the spookier episodes right do you like the way i'm delaying expressing an opinion i noticed that Yes, I'm. I'm being very, very good about that. Uh, I should probably stop doing that. Um, you know, the the first uh, two parter I actually didn't do a lot for me. Okay. The uh, the one with the first Doctor, mostly because with the with the ninth Doctor. Whatever the, the ninth Doctor, fine. Um, you know, I have a, a really, really high creepy bar, and it it's just I, I because it's sort of limited by the fact that it's sort of a family show kind of ostensibly although you know a, a, clearly a, a dense and complex one I, I they've they've got a really hard time creeping me out and okay. in in general their efforts to be unsettling just kind of are kind of weak sauce okay uh, to to me I, I i can see how it works for other people uh, i i thought that out of the three that i watched uh, by far the most effective was the, was the uh, the middle two okay uh with the uh, the tenant uh, you see what I did there? I got his name right. Uh, the, the the two Tenet episodes I thought were were by far the most effective. I I, I did feel like in those in in those uh, those first two sort of uh, stories, uh, um, they there were these last minute efforts to sort of make the whole thing more upbeat, which I wasn't really, which I didn't know was going to happen, was sort of a, a disappointment. But you know that's also just me. Uh, that's I, I thought I found it particularly jarring in the first story, which is one of the reasons it didn't work for me as well. And also the other, because that was one of those context things in that first season. Almost every single episode, everybody dies, uh, except for the Doctor and the companion. And so when you've been watching the entire season of that, the happy ending in that with the ninth Doctor story is actually kind of nice. Uh, but out of context, I absolutely see where you're coming from. Yeah. Um... What was funny to me about that second story was it uh, it reminded me a lot of the TNG episode, The Inner Light, ah, which is by far my favorite episode of that show. So, it, I mean, it, it really, it hinges on a lot of the same sort of, uh, sort of paradoxes and, you know, this whole idea of someone who has to discard an entire life that wasn't real. Um, unfortunately, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like they dwelled on that enough. May, I mean, I assume it's a plot point for later. Uh, so, unfortunately, it doesn't have the, the, the sort of gut punch 
effect that the inner light has because it doesn't it doesn't it's not quite efficient enough to you know th- get all those beats in a 40 minute you mm-hmm. know window but that's also an extraordinary episode of television so i'm not going to hold that against it um so that that episode that's worked for me you know, you know pretty low on sort of ludicrousness although i didn't like the whole, the fact that a lot of what happens in the episode hinges on a character who knows pretty much everything not saying anything for no good reason but you know i'll, I'll, I'll let it slide are now are you talking about river or are you talking about the doctor i'm talking about no 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 neither i'm talking about the girl's ah yes nephew the, the, or whoever the, he was. Yes, the guy who yeah. from the corporation. Yeah, was... yeah, who ended up having a lot of information that he didn't share for some reason. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, that seemed, especially since other characters are dropping dead left and right, seems like a good time to maybe tell people stuff. Anyway, then the third story was uh, was f- was fun. Uh, not as good as the second, but uh, but not bad. Is it a coincidence that they get lawyer guy from Battlestar to come in? And then introduce a villain that sounds a lot like the Cylons. Is oh, that just a, a, that's that, just a coincidence. some sort of pun? No, that that that's a coincidence. The Cylons are something that had been mentioned all through the season before, so the fifth series. Uh, this was the premiere two-parter for the sixth series. So, so no, that was uh, that's what those clips where they were saying Silence will fall. Those were all from various episodes in the fifth series. So that was a coincidence. Uh, it just Mark Shepard's just in everything. And everybody likes okay. him, and he loves Doctor Who, and been trying to get on for a while, like going like, "Hey, right. you should totally have me on." Uh, right. And so that that's just coincidence. Nice to see him the, with an American accent for once. Yeah, there was some stuff in that episode that didn't really make any sense to me, and I don't okay. think it's because of you know continuity stuff. For instance, the the episode ends when they manage to transmit, you know, the, this alien's message saying you should kill us all, but. How do people remember it? The point of that, the trick with that is that they had established in the episode that the Silence were giving subliminal commands to humans. uh, Because when when the humans become highly suggestible, when they see the Silence, and that's how the Silence control people. Right. And, uh, And so, therefore, and when you see the Silence, you remember all the other times that you've seen them. So... The notion being, as we saw at the beginning with Amy, she had she kind of glanced one out of the corner of her eye, and then she forgot. And when she saw the si- si- silence later, she remembered the first time. So the notion being, if they happen to see the silence, then they will remember the command that they have been suggested, you know, of "you should kill us all on sight." Okay, and we and we and we're just sort of supposed to accept that no matter what they say that's a command as opposed to them, you know, using their alien powers to specifically command people to do stuff. Yes, because the doctor had uh, suggested, we saw the doctor suggest to Mark Shepard's character that he should straighten his bow tie. And when you turn around, you're going to straighten my bow tie. And then he turned around and straightened the guy's bow tie. So it doesn't have to be the silence giving the command. Okay, I get yeah, it. It's, All right, it's, ca- it's complicated. It's timey-wimey. That's the way Stephen Moffat likes Fair to enough. do it. Oh, I'm, I'm very, very glad nobody used the term timey-wimey in any of the episodes <laughs> that I watched. Because that would have been a real turn-off. So, I, I mean, to sort of, if anyone's having difficulty uh, getting a bead on my opinion because I, uh, you know, because I'm talking like this and, you know, because I have... Have an opinion, it. sir. Uh, fine, I'll do it. Um, it felt to me like... Um, a, a little bit like I felt 
watching early Buffy, like in the in the okay. sense of you know, another thing I didn't I, I was avoiding, uh, in the sense of I'm getting a a real vibe of I get why people like it. I'm not really sure it's for me. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a little bit. I I, I I was getting a vibe from it a lot where it felt like it was very pleased with itself. Okay. Which part it's hard to separate that from the fact that everyone just loves the doctor so much. Uh, so you know, maybe and that's he does too. At least and he, some of right. them do. Some of them really hate themselves, but uh, they right. all kind of so, both love and hate themselves. Right, and there's a lot of characters looking in awe at stuff, and I think it's it's in general a show that does a lot better if you still have a sense of wonder, mm-hmm. which I really, really don't. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, there's there's no childlike bit of me anywhere. So uh, I, I think I, I can recognize in that sense that it's not really meant for me. But at the same time, there were definitely bits of each episode that I dug, sometimes a lot, sometimes, uh, you know, not so much. I think uh, I think you probably chose these these stories very shrewdly, so it's it's also sort of hard for me to get a beat on how how much I would like the show mm-hmm. if I were to actually be strapped to a uh, Clockwork Orange machine and made to watch the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing I would have I would be greatly annoyed with it a lot, uh, probably as I am in life already. But uh, I, I did uh, I did enjoy bits and pieces of uh, of. There was stuff to enjoy in all three episodes, even if the the first story didn't exactly light my world on fire. Okay, I think that's fair, and I appreciate you going in with an open mind. Uh, yeah, I think that. Well, part of the reason that I was bothering you for a while, and then I stopped because I realized I was being a dick. Part of the reason I was bothering you for a while to to give Doctor Who a chance is that I I genuinely think you would like it, based on the fact that you liked Buffy, because for RTD. Buffy was the watchword for Doctor Who when he brought it back. So there are mm-hmm. season-long arcs that are just kind of sprinkled throughout and then, then become uh, major towards the end of the season in his series. Uh, I think it does, it definitely the, it takes a while so, you know, to find its feet um, with some of the tonal balances. So there are certainly on episodes and off episodes. Um, but I do think... Like, like, for example, when you're talking, you're talking about Donna's story in um, Silence, in the Lib- Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead, I think you would really enjoy her arc over the season where she's the companion. I think that would, that would be very, I can't say why, because it's, okay. it's me- mega spoilers, and we don't do spoilers. I'm not going to do those spoilers, because I know we have some listeners who are just starting Doctor Who, go Mandy. Uh, so... So hopefully, I don't want to spoil anything for them. Uh, but I think there are, there are parts of the show that you would really enjoy. And I do think there are parts of it that would drive you nuts. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there were even little bits here that did that. So, yeah, you know, another qualm I have that I'm going to mention and probably piss off a lot of Doctor Who fans is... The terrible CG? No, I mean, whatever. I, 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 don't, I don't hold bad effects uh, against people. Okay. To, or, or I try not to, unless it's really extreme, like in the case of uh, the tripods. But, um, you know, based on the one epi- on the one uh, story that I saw, mm-hmm. really wasn't crazy about uh, the guy playing Rory. Oh! Rory Pond. Oh, he's awesome. Arthur, uh, Rory, well, okay. The reason that I say he's awesome is that Rory gets a really marked and, and uh, well-structured character progression from his introduction in the beginning of the fifth season through to 
what we've seen so far and what I assume we're going to see by the the time the ponds leave um, midway through this upcoming season. So he's had, uh, yeah, he's he's gone through a lot at this point, uh, including being alive for 2,000 years as a plastic man. Uh, so he's actually older than the doctor at this point. But it's, okay. it's you know, complicated. He doesn't seem old. He seems a little bit too petulant to be that old. But, you know, maybe I'm... Uh, but I am, I'm also judging on, you know, 80 minutes of screen time when there's hmm. presumably hours and hours and hours. Yeah, it's it's a show that um, some of it balances really well. Um, and then, But there's definitely episodes that are companion heavy, companion light, doctor heavy, doctor light. For example, I know you've seen part of Blink, which is the episode everybody always picks to introduce people to the show. And that's one where the doctor's barely in it. It's all about Sally Sparrow, played by Carrie Mulligan. So, so sometimes, like, this was one where Rory didn't get as much to do. There are some episodes where he gets a lot more to do. But definitely the mm. main companion is, for the most part, Amy at this point in the show. So Amy gets a lot more of the focus. Right. Okay. Just uh, just yeah. throwing that out there. Absolutely. So, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm giving I, – I wish I had a more committal uh, response mm-hmm. for, the, for the curious Whovians. Uh, I, I give – I guess my if – I, if I had to give it briefly, I would say I, I – tentatively approve i don't know if i'll actually watch anymore okay they, we got we got i got a lot of stuff to catch up on it's kind of i'm not gonna lie it's very 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 low on my totem pole <laughs> but you know it's there it's the, the the thought is in the back of my head so thanks guys it's in there all right are you satisfied <laughs> damn it so then i take that to mean that you are not going to watch the new season when it premieres this uh coming saturday well I thought about that. I mean, we actually, we have a dedicated Doctor Who cast. So mm-hmm. I, I sort of always figured, no matter what happens, I figured who was, was off limits for the Televerse. I, we haven't actually had this discussion, so it's weird to have it now. I'm going to be watching it, and I'm going to be giving, you know, our brief sort of five minutes to it. Not even, probably, if you don't watch it. I don't think we'll spotlight the show mm-hmm. for anybody curious. Even if someone watches it, I doubt we will spotlight it because we have another fabulous podcast over at Saturday Site that does that. Right. And they do they do it very well, so they've got that coverage. Right, so yeah, I think that's a sensible solution is only make sure we limit our discussion to several minutes since we have another podcast that we'll probably be doing it for, I would say, about seven hours per episode. <laughs> if only. I would love it. I would listen to all of it. Okay. Now, do you have any thoughts on... Because, of course, I could talk who all day. I'm curious how you would rank the performances, how you, what you thought of the different doctors, what you thought of the different companions, and what you thought of the different um, enemies. Um, and if you can... I don't know if you can separate that from the writing, because I know that you preferred the writing... You you didn't connect as much with like the the villain, you know, and the empty child and the doctor dances. But I'm curious what your takes are on the different doctors and on the different companions because you had like five of them, five companions. Yeah, there were a bunch. Um, he's got a lot of friends for some reason. For someone who changes form and is kind of a dick. Um, <laughs> the uh, I think easily the most engaging doctor was Tennant. Um, okay. I, I I think I need more than one episode to get used to Matt Smith's weird mug. It's yeah. it's it's not his fault. It's you know, well it is kind of his fault. Anyway, um, he's much more awkward and gangly. <laughs> yeah, and it's it, and I I found it a weird mix his his awkwardness with the fact that he was maybe the cockiest of the three, uh, at least okay. from what I saw. Um, maybe that's incorrect. Anyway, um, 
the out of the compa- the companions, I mean Donna's care Donna's uh, story was by far the most interesting to me out of what we got. Um, yeah, I have nothing against Billy Piper, but you know her story was you know very. Um, she had nothing to do. She yeah, she didn't have much to do. I gather that that's the first time that we see uh, Captain Jack. Yep, and, he comes back in a big way and then goes off to do torture. Right, I I figured that part out all by myself. So yeah, I mean I, it was hard to separate the fact that you know Donna's story is way more engaging and much sort of deeper than uh, mm-hmm. than certainly um billy piper's characters i see i, I don't even know her rose. name there, there you go rose uh what she had to do or not do so you did, so the only companion that you connected with at all was donna is what i'm getting from this yeah I, I was i was confused as to why river wasn't annoyed a lot more um and more often based on what seemed to be happening but uh you know that's again it's hard to have context for that but um, out of the villains, the I mean, the silence were clearly the most, uh, they were the closest to being creepy. I didn't understand, though, why they weren't just exploding everyone all the time. They okay. seem to do a lot of standing around and explaining stuff, or just standing and being creepy. I, if I had the ability to explode things with my hands and there were people getting in my way, I would explode them all. So that seemed, uh, you know, like a bit of a stretch to me. You know, the, mm-hmm. and the villain, I mean, the villains in uh, Silence of the Library are, you know, shadows and skulls. So that wasn't too interesting to me, but it's also, you know, by far the strongest episode. So there you go. Um, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I, yeah, you know, that, that, uh, I totally see where you're coming from with that. I, I think, uh, well, first of all, Donna is my favorite companion of the 50 years. Well, next year it'll be 50 years of Doctor Who. So I'm with you there. I don't connect with her as much in this individual story. Like her, the the part of the story that you connected with uh, the most is the part of the story I connect with the least in this, in Silence in the Library and The Force of the Dead. I'm far more interested in what's going on with River and the Doctor. Um, but I do think Catherine Tate, she proved herself to be quite an excellent actress uh, in the, over the course of her series after a really obnoxious, annoying first appearance. Um, the character's my favorite in the series run. Um, I love Matt Smith as the doctor. I love his doctor. I love how alien and awkward and dorky he is. And bow ties are cool. No matter what you say, Derek Ledu, host of the Sound on Sight uh, uh, Doctor Who podcast. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I like all the doctors. And I think of these villains, my favorite are probably the, uh, probably the silence and then the creepy kid. <laughs> and then... After that, the Vashtanarada. So I'm pretty much on the exact opposite view on a lot of these things. But uh, okay, I love Doctor Who. I'm a big fan. Can't wait for the new season. And thank you for for being willing to go on somewhat of a Doctor Who journey with me. There we go. And if if we make it another year, I'm gonna be I'm gonna actually be a dick next time. I'm I'm gonna make you watch uh, Xavier Renegade Angel or something. You had that option. You brought it I up, did. and I you did. decided I, you did. You know, I decided not to do that, and I don't know. Maybe I'll be more callous next year. We'll see. Yeah, of course. Feel free to send us, uh, send us emails, uh, say, suggesting things for you know we can save up for next year for what you guys think we should make each other watch. I think it's uh, <laughs> I think it's a good tradition to start. So I'm looking. I'll have to start like pegging things for next time. For for what I'll what I'll pick next time. But it sounds it sounds so sadistic when you say making us what like. It, it it sounds like we're we're torturing each other. <laughs> well, I think it, actually we uh there's something else you could have picked that I think would have been far more stressful 
but uh, oh. I, I'll save that till till our off mic because we're going to actually be talking about that pretty soon coming up here. So that'll be a little okay. bit of a tease to the audience. But let's uh, let's go into a few show notes here at the end of the show. Of course, the intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find us up at soundinsight.org where we're going to have a post where you can leave comments. You can listen to the, to the show streaming there or streaming at Current TV. And of course, we're also in iTunes with both an M4A and an MP3 feed. The M4A th- feed has chapters so you can skip around and avoid spoilers. Um, please leave us a rating or review there. We love ratings and reviews. Yes, we do. We need more of those things because it, it helps people find us and generally makes us seem cooler. And it makes us, you know, it, it, it it's a lovely surprise to get. It's uh, sort of a, yes. puts a boost in our day when that happens. So yes, it let us know what you think of the show and uh, send us a, put us a, leave us a comment at the website, leave us a review on iTunes, or you can talk to us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are. <laughs> I'm at Sucker Howell. Of course, you can always email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Let us know what you think of Doctor Who. Let us know what you think of what Simon thinks of Doctor Who. Let us know what you think of what mm-hmm. I think of 30 for 30. All of that good stuff. What shall, yes. our, what shall our question be this week? What do you, what, if anything, do you have an irrational hatred of? Yes. What, uh, well, okay, anything. And if you want to limit it to television, go ahead. But if you don't, go for it. I'm going to say right now, heights. Not big on heights. Um, yeah, I mean, keep it to inoffensive things that you hate. I don't want to hear about, you know, yeah. racial categories or, or, you know. You can post that like to that. the site. We'll probably delete any hate speech. So. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not talking about hate speech directed at people or, or places or, you know, anything like that. I'm talking about hate speech directed at TV, at, at TV series or innocuous things like heights. Yes. Although I, maybe some people will find that offensive. <laughs> Yeah, Mount McKinley is very angry at me. But uh, there you go. Thank you again, everyone, so much for listening. And for those of you who have been around uh, since what feels like the beginning, uh, that's that's. I, I was going to start listening names, but I know I'll forget someone and then feel terrible. Uh, you know who mm-hmm. you are. We're so glad that you guys have followed us and and sort of created somewhat of a Sound on Sight Televerse family. And I, right. Well, we don't know. We we assume we don't know who all of you are. I assume some of you don't talk, but you know, yeah. For any of you out there who listen a lot, uh, thank you. The commenters and the tweeters and the lurkers, thank you guys so much for listening. And we will be back next week with another episode of the Television.